We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 3. When it comes to the issue of chronic homelessness, uh, addiction, and you sometimes wonder if the rest of the world around you in these realms has lost its mind, you find people speaking common sense here and there. And one of the people I've been following on these issues for some time now is one Kevin Dahlgren. He is uh, the founder of an organization called Truth on the Streets, truthonthestreets.org. He also have a, has a Substack uh, page by the same name, truthonthestreets.substack.com, and a very active Twitter account, Kevin Dahl, Twitter account, at um, Kevin Dahlgren, D A H L. G-R-E-N. We've not spoken before, Mr. Dahlgren. Thank you for joining the show. Thank you for having me on. Pleasure to be here. You betcha. Um, tell me, would you mind just uh, very autobiographically, tell, however you want to do it, first-time guest, I always ask, uh, tell the audience a little bit about yourself, anything you want to say and how you came to be doing what you're doing. Uh, happy to. You know, I've worked in social services just under 30 years now. I enter the field like anybody would as I, with a strong desire to change the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, Root Awakening was working within this uh, system. I just realized very quickly just how incredibly dysfunctional it was and uh, how pretty quickly on I felt like I was part of the problem and that what once was this cause really uh, evolved in front of me to a multi-billion dollar industry. Right, that, and that industry being addiction and 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 treatment that that industry. Yeah, the yeah. well, that and shelters yeah. and everything else, mm-hmm. with all the money that's made off these people without actually solving the problem or really helping in any uh, authentic, real way. And uh, that was kind of a rude awakening for me. And rather than leaving the field, I decided to stay in it because I just felt like, well, I would be that one person who's. <laughs> push back and try to still try to make a difference within this dysfunctional system. And, you know, I had some successes over the years, but ultimately not that many because this was a, this is a major industry with a lot of money backing it. And it was just really, really hard to even speak up because that there's a strict rule in the nonprofit world because it's a very cult like feeling is you're not allowed to speak up or show any sort of dissent or even have a, a difference of opinion. We are, I mean, honest, we are also act to vote a very certain way. We were expected to even be in social services. We're required to vote Democrat. Mm-hmm. That was just always the strict rule. Mm-hmm. Like, like we weren't, you know, we weren't even, it, it was just so inappropriate on so many levels what they expected of us, right? Mm-hmm. So I kind of started just telling, you know, you know, a couple of years ago, I just got so fed up. I started just sharing everything I've really experienced and saw over 25 plus years and started my Twitter account and stuff and um, thought people would really kind of uh, hold on and listen to what I was trying to say. But I was shocked to hear that a lot of these major providers and elected officials were like, that's not possible. Kevin must be lying. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And then I realized I need to take it to the next step. And that's when I decided I have to start interviewing the homeless because if they don't believe me, maybe I'll believe them because yeah. I knew the truth because I was doing real outreach out there every day. And so that's when I started actually interviewing the homeless and publishing these interviews. Yep. And that's when everything changed. Everyone was really kind of blown away. Like, Oh my God, is this actually the truth? We've been lied to our entire lives. And I say we, as in the people who voted for these, budgets, voted for these measures, these programs, these policies, you know, uh, they're the ones who felt like they got fooled because how are we supporting this multi-billion dollar industry when the homeless are basically saying, we're not getting the help, there's no outreach, it's all BS, it's a revolving door, it's incredibly dysfunctional, uh, and that's kind of when everything changed. And that is really what I feel like my life's goal is now is to just be a disruptor of this multi-billion dollar industry because this is completely unacceptable. And I've, and I've been saying this for years now, is if money were the solution, we would have solved it by now. Money is not the solution. In fact, that to me is always the red flag when an elected says, I just need this amount of money to solve it. That tells me they either know, they know nothing about the real root causes of how, or how to actually get it done. So that's kind of what I've been doing the last few years and traveling around a bunch, helping the communities ready to hear it. You know, some are, some aren't, but, you know, that's why I do this completely independently now and enjoy going city to city, county to county, and just helping the communities ready to hear the truth and ready to make a real difference. And, you know, my attitude with ending homelessness is it's not just about benefiting the actual person on the streets, it's benefiting the community. Right. It's okay to admit, I don't want to see an encampment in front of my house. Right. I don't want an open-air drug scene. I don't want to watch someone smoking fentanyl, right? right? It's okay to admit that I want my community back, right? Yep. And that's and that's that balance. It's like, look, help the homeless person, but also it benefits the community by doing so. And that's my goal. Thank you, Kevin. Kevin Dahlgren, at, uh, if you want a quick summary from his Twitter page, Ending Homelessness by Empowering, Not Enabling, Decades in Social Services, a Disruptor of the Homeless Industrial Complex. I guess I was awakened to this, Kevin, in in my own in my own experience by in Phoenix where I'm at by uh, by by seeing what was known as colloquially here as the zone which is a several block uh, open air drug scene and encamp home uh, chronic homeless yeah. encampment and it had grown and grown and grown as you put it money and more services and more institutions were built around it to deal with it. It was almost as if and I don't know if this is too cynical or not but it was almost as if the nonprofit and the professional uh, organizations, um, without even saying it perhaps, and maybe it's implicit and maybe they deny it, <clears throat> almost wanted to perpetuate a problem to perpetuate themselves. I don't know if you think that's too cynical. Uh, it is not. Look at it this way. There's a major conflict of interest going on. We, the, the very people we hire and are counting on to solve the problem are the very people benefiting from the problem, okay. right? right? So where is, where is the motivation to actually solve the problem? So, for example, you know, hiring an agency or a shelter to end homelessness in a community, but if they do so, what's going to happen to them? Right. And so that's right. the problem is because there's no oversight there's no expectation of measurable results and other stuff. So it's not cynical. The fact is, you know, people ask me this a lot. is like, well, is this like, you know, is, are there like evil, you know, are there some people behind closed doors and this was the plan all along? 
I would say not necessarily right. all the time, but right. the fact is there's no real motivation to ending the crisis because if you do, it's going to end the gravy train. It's going to end your job, your program, whatever. I can share a quick story is, uh, and something I heard a lot over the last couple of decades is uh, I was working uh, at a men's homeless shelter and back in the day, there was only two shelters in Portland, uh, and they were at the time the largest homeless shelter system. And over the next five or six years I worked there, I noticed the same clients coming in, in over and over and over again. We weren't really solving the problem. And then eventually, you know, we were at full capacity every night. And so what do they do? They asked for more funding from the county to build more shelters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then that, those got full, but we also weren't helping it. We were perpetuating this kind of problem. So finally, I kind of went to my uh, leadership and said, what the hell are we actually doing here? This doesn't, this is crazy. They says, like, you know, feel like we're treating this like a, an industry. We're treating this like a for-profit company when our goal really should be to work ourselves out of a job, right? Right, right. right. And they're just like, well, no, we want to be the biggest and the best. I'm like, well, that's the backwards way of thinking. This is, you know, the, the whole goal of homelessness is to end homelessness if you work in the field. And they disagreed. And uh, that's the problem is their attitude was really about they were benefiting off of this. They were they had no problem uh, with this crisis continuing to grow. It wasn't necessarily completely their fault because also I was working in a very progressive cities in cities like Seattle, San Francisco, Portland, Oregon are so progressive. It it it, uh, it uh, lures the homeless from all over the country to come to these cities because the fact is it's easy to be homeless here. Mm-hmm. We've decriminalized drugs. It's lax policies, hands off, do what you want. You're a protected class. You could shoplift and we're not going to call the police. You can literally get away with anything. And that's what I've been pushing up, pushing against is these progressive cities. You know, they basically, I, I, I used to think of, I used to think of Portland, Oregon as my favorite city in the world. And, and, no longer. Now oh. it's just been destroyed. Uh, we're talking. So it, to, yeah, no. Let me let me take a quick commercial break and pick up on this uh, because I want to talk about something you tweeted about yesterday. I want to talk about the uh, the uh, handing out and the use of drug paraphernalia under the notion of what is called uh, harm reduction. Kevin Dahlgren is my guest. D A H. L-G-R-E-N. His organization is Truth on the Streets, truthonthestreets.org. Same name for his Substack. You want to read this guy, folks. Talk about truth to power. Kevin Dahlgren and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Kevin Dahlgren is my guest. He is a... um, advocate uh he is a counselor for homeless and and uh drug ad uh the drug uh, addicted and he has a very active twitter feed at kevin dahlgren d-a-h-l-g-r-e-n he is a counselor he is the founder of truth on the streets kevin i know this a little bit about what you were saying with the homeless situation i know it a little bit from from uh addiction and recovery uh realms where it seems to me either by accident or not, and maybe it was something the industry stumbled into, that a lot of these drug rehab organizations, facilities, you know, they cost an awful lot of money. 
And anyone who's in business knows that you want to build a business on repeat customers if you can get them. And I'm not Mm -hmm. suggesting that they are deliberately creating them, but I am suggesting that with such a problem in addiction and relapse that we could be doing a lot better and a lot differently. And I'm just wondering, when I see organizations in so-called progressive cities like where you are or San Francisco – or New York, handing out paraphernalia to make the drug use, so to speak, easier, so to speak, cheaper, and so to speak, safer. I'm wondering if we've lost our minds. Well, we, <laughs> we've we lost our minds. I mean, in we some have. cases, I'm sorry to put a fine point on this, in some cases, at least with fentanyl, at least with the price of fentanyl, in some places, the paraphernalia is the most expensive part of the drug use. It is, and of course, thank God for, and I say this sarcastically, we have our uh, county clinic supplying the, 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 the tools to continue to get high. Right. You know, so that's what they do. They're, you know, they're, they're really big on that piece. Uh, you know, I, the reason why I don't always necessarily blame specific programs is because the way the system is set up, nobody is technically in, nobody is technically in charge. Right. And so that means everyone's doing a little piece of it, but no, the buck doesn't stop with anybody. And even like the mayor can say, well, the, it's the county's fault. And the county can say, well, actually, I gave money to the nonprofit. Right. Da, da, da. Everyone just pushes blame on everybody else. And that's how this problem just continues to get worse is nobody's in charge. And but- so everybody is just part of the system and just doing their thing and making money. But if you stand up and say something, or if I stand up and say something about, wait, is there not any kind of initiative to actually get these people treatment and help, we will be we will be told that we're not in charge for sure, and we have nothing to say and offer here because we're the callous ones. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, every time I speak, I'm either, you know, get loved or hated right. because I'm speaking the truth. I mean, and it's frustrating to hear that because I'm really out here trying to be a voice for the homeless in my experience a lot of them actually want help and want to be empowered and want purpose but they've been enabled to the point of dependency and that is something that even they acknowledge but they also need real guidance these are people with a lot of mental illness a lot of uh chemical dependency issues and just a lot of other type of failings possibly by the way they were raised or even behavioral issues but a lot of them have told me over the years i wish somebody would just give me the right guidance and i would stop doing this Mm -hmm. and our system definitely is not designed to do something like that say a word about harm reduction here let me help let me (laughs) let me quote you to yourself in the audience uh, from a tweet yesterday i bumped into two volunteer outreach workers handing out harm reduction supplies to three different people. Two were completely unresponsive, and the third in the wheelchair who was barely aware of her surroundings. She briefly looked up, grabbed the straws, foil, and Narcan. This this is um, this is not enabling, it's supplying. Well, that, and it's supplying, and what I said um, in an op-ed I wrote a few months ago for the New York Post is that we are loving the homeless to death. Right. That is, there, there's no other way of saying it. The fact that these harm reduction advocates walked up to this lady who was barely with it, clearly with major medical issues, completely out of it. They handed her the straws and the foil. She grabbed onto them, put them in her purse, and then nodded out again. You know, I mean, that's insane. I mean, I put, I, what I said in this tweet is I give the two people I saw maybe a month, two more to yeah. live. Yeah. 
because they are far, far gone and shame on these people. What they should have done is like, you know, if they really gave a damn, they would have sat with them, waited till they were no longer on the drugs and just find a way to help them. But bare minimum, even if the person wasn't ready to be helped, and that's fine, don't contribute to it. Don't like make an effort to be like, here, enjoy yourself. I mean, it's just sick. It's like, I get it that not everybody's ready. And she, when she woke up, she might be like, no, thanks. I'm cool. But also you don't have to hand her more foil and straws to continue to get high and then pat yourself on the back at night that you made a big difference. I mean, it's just, it's just sad. You're pl- you you said on a TV interview I saw you, sometimes you look at these initiatives like in Portland and you wonder if the plan is to just let them all die, as you were saying, because you don't give... Yeah, right? I mean, that's... Yeah. I, and, and I said that. I, that was on, um, I was on Fox and yeah. Friends a couple days ago, yeah, yeah. and it, it was in response to my county's plan to officially distribute foil and straws, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And I simply... And, and, while I was certainly being a little sarcastic, I was also pretty annoyed and was, you know, basically said, well, look, sounds like Multnomah County finally has a plan to end homelessness. Let them all die. Right. I mean, it's completely insane. It just tells me they do not have an understanding of fentanyl, which is the deadliest drug in history. And it's such a backwards way of, of looking at it. And I feel so strongly about this because I had a brother on the streets of Portland, Oregon, with a meth addiction in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And I was able to get him off the streets, and he lived with me for a year, and now he's thriving and has never used again. He's been sober for uh, 28 years. And and just because I, you know, really quickly empowered him, I did enable him. So that's just kind of what we do. This is the system, is we are just loving these poor people to death who who don't even know how to say no anymore because they've they lack critical thinking and rational thought. I don't you know, remember they, if they, I read it. Yeah, I don't remember if I read it from you or some someone else. Might have been somehow. I'm thinking it might have been a Sam Canona's essay. But uh, and, uh, the line was, "Everyone on fentanyl ultimately dies." And what's odd to me about that, which if it's an exaggeration, it's only an exaggeration within about a standard deviation. I'm get, I'm I'm thinking. Um, but what's odd to me about that, Kevin, is is people are now actively asking for that drug on the street. People are asking for fentanyl. They're asking for something they well, – I don't know if they know it's a killer, but they are asking for something that we know is a killer. Yeah, and I would say that fentanyl has almost, almost completely replaced all other drugs. Yeah, almost. And I have seen that. Definitely that is the case in Seattle, San Francisco, Portland, San Diego, um, and also even if you – go out of your way to not use fentanyl, it's also laced in almost all of the drugs, right. such as meth, marijuana. And that's what's even more terrifying, is even if you don't want to use it, you almost have no choice. Yeah, that's right. It is so cheap. and so Yes, right, right. And, and now, the reason why it's so cheap is, well, ahead. the reason why it's so cheap is because we have competing cartels right now. We have the yeah. Mexican cartel, and we have the Chinese cartel. And two years ago, an average fentanyl pill was about five to seven dollars yeah and now it's down to on average of two dollars a pill and it's important to note that for two dollars a pill you're getting a substance that's 50 times stronger than heroin and cheaper i can beat that price in phoenix kevin i can come to phoenix i'll beat that price for let me take a quick commercial break we'll be Uh right back
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Kevin Dahlgren is my guest. You want to follow him on Twitter at Kevin Dahlgren, D-A-H-L-G-R-E-N. He is the uh, founder of truthonthestreets.org, his website, and also a substack by the same name, Truth on the Streets. This fentanyl thing we're spending some time on talking about, Kevin, you know— um, how does Shakespeare put it? You, you can't say it's the worst if you're still alive to say this is the worst because we have let this thing go. We are now seeing this thing called xylazine, which may be even worse than fentanyl cropping up. We, we have refused to deal with the fentanyl problem. And son of a gun, because of, of the way America works, we, we may now have a plus factor to, to, to fentanyl. Do you want to say something about xylazine, what's often known as trank? Yeah, and xylazine is a horse tranquilizer. It is not considered a controlled substance. The reason why it's been added to fentanyl is because it enhances fentanyl, makes it last longer, and it's stronger. What makes this so deadly is the fact that, you know, when you're using fentanyl, you're at a high risk of overdose already. Mm -hmm. But when you're on trank, um, uh, you oftentimes end up nodding out for not a half hour, but for several hours. And the reason why we have, we've seen this incredible spike in overdoses and deaths is because a person dies while nodded out right. on a tranquilizer where they're unable to wake up. And Narcan and won't so touch it, by the way. Narcan will not touch it because uh, yeah, it's not an opioid per se, right? Yeah, Narcan has no effect on Trank. Right. Trank was added, we think it started with possibly the Mexican cartels because they tried to have to come up with something, a new and exciting way of... Uh, making fentanyl even stronger because people were uh, building up a tolerance towards it. Right. And it's really all about kind of demand, you know? It's yeah. like, you know, it's like inventing a stronger coffee or something because yeah. people got bored with the regular coffee. Sure. And it's the same idea. That's what they do. But, like, it's deadly enough. And so Trank is terrifying. And, again, not being a controlled substance, you have it on you. There's nothing really a law enforcement officer can do. Kevin, let me go back to this notion of harm reduction, if I can, for a moment. I was uh, talking to a scholar about the programs in New York City, which map very much the kind of thing you were talking about in Portland, the giveaways of the, of the paraphernalia, the instrumentalities of use. And what he pointed out in New York, he said their measurement of success is how much equipment they give out. They do no oh, follow-up. God. They have no measurement of who's seeking treatment. They have no measurement of who. Mm-hmm. Can you speak to that for a moment? Oh, and this is a hard one to hear, but it's actually very accurate. So the harm reduction activists, uh, this is more of a philosophy yeah. And they, it's it's a belief, and it's called bodily autonomy, a person's right to use. Right. And so in the mind of a person who supports harm reduction is that I am going to supply a person to use as much as they want because they have every right to do so. And also it would be uh, uh, disrespectful of me to suggest they might potentially need detox or treatment. And who are you to so say your lifestyle is better, correct? Correct, and shape, you know that's what they would say. So that's why they hate me, is because mm-hmm. I'm a drug alcohol counselor, and I'm like, dude, this is killing you. Yeah, right? right. I mean, I'll be like brutally honest, like, man, this is bad. Yeah, uh, and that's terrifying that they have that belief. And what their ultimate goal is, is they'll say this on every website you see, was is they want to reduce deaths, which means keep them alive and and heart and 
harm reduction in some ways technically does that if we're talking about, say, handing out more Narcan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I still to this day do not understand what the value is in handing a person foil and straws. Like, how, how is that reducing anything? I mean, if anything, it's encouraging the use. Yeah, because, and example, I think we... Yes, go ahead. Sorry. You can only use foil like once or twice. Right. And then you can't. And so luckily for them, a harm reduction activist will walk up and say, here's more foil. Enjoy. Yeah. So they get to use more. Right. So where's the reduction? And, and they don't want to measure the reduction. Can I get you for one more segment if I take a quick commercial break? I'm, I'm absolutely. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Kevin Dahlgren is our guest. His group is his organization is Truth on the Streets, truthonthestreets.org. Uh, you want your eyes opened, uh, follow him on Twitter, at Kevin Dahlgren, D-A-H-L-G-R-E-N, or read his substack by the same name, truthonthestreets.substack.com. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. My guest, generous with his time as he is generous with his time on the streets trying to help the homeless, is Kevin Dahlgren, D-A-H-L-G-R-E-N. Follow him. Kevin, um, I have such strong feelings about some of the things I've been seeing lately from organizations who speak in the name of public health, actually are called Departments of Public Health, when I see that they are now passing out glass pipes. Yes, you mentioned the tinfoil. Yes, you mentioned the straws. Mm-hmm. Major cities are now passing out glass pipes with the justification that it is safer to inhale or smoke things like fentanyl than to inject it. And I thought to myself, this must be the first time in American history, or at least in the last 60 years, that something calling itself a public health department or organization is encouraging smoking or inhaling, and not nicotine, by the way, but a deadly drug. Um, I want to ask you to address that, and I want to ask you to address something you brought up, which is Narcan. People know that this is all the rage these days, getting Narcan over the counter, getting Narcan into dispensaries, uh, excuse me, into dispensary machines. I'm all for it, I suppose, but it seems to me it's the ambulance at the end of the car crash, and it's not going to be the foolproof thing that you think it is every time. It seems to me that you are putting people in shark-infested waters and building prosthetic limb stores on the beachheads when you should be killing the sharks and putting up signs that say don't swim. Feel free to address oh, yourself seriously. to any of this. Oh, yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Uh, so first of all, uh, the reason why they say smoking is safer than injecting because most people don't understand fentanyl and they, they take that to be the truth. Let me just throw it out there. The injecting of heroin is virtually non-existent. Okay. The number one, by far, preferred of using fentanyl is by smoking it. Okay. For them to just simply say injecting it somehow, that's the harm reduction, that's embarrassing. So it's not even touching it's just, the problem. They, okay, it's okay. It's no, it's not even it's it's like literally over 99.5% of every fentanyl user is smoking it. Mm-hmm. It's not an, an an issue of injecting. It's extraordinarily rare and usually done by accident. Mm-hmm. And you know, I use kind of a similar example to what you said is the way our system is set up, 
is if you're in a park and you hear a man drowning and you run to the lake, uh, if you are current system, rather than pull him out of the water, you run home and commit a study to try to understand why he's in the lake in the first place. Right? Well, I think that's being so generous, I, I got to tell you, because I think the fight of a drowning man is to fight the person trying to save him, and it seems our system is to not have that fight, but to drag them down and put weights on their ankles. Yeah, and also what they'll say to that is, well, and, and their conclusion will be this, he's in the lake because of capitalism. They'll always, like, <laughs> we throw have to go there, okay, as, all right. Okay. And, and, and okay. it's just what I hear all the time, and I'm like, you are the... I don't know how else to say it, but I'm just like, I usually, I'm definitely thinking you're an idiot. Okay. I'm like, you know nothing about it, and they love to blame capitalism on the root of, you know, cause of all problems in the world. And they, and nine times out of ten, I hear this from the system, is capitalism created homelessness. Therefore, the only way homelessness is going to end is to, is to, uh, uh, and capitalism, and also when people, stop becoming billionaires. Yeah. I mean, they'll say things like this. Like, that's just not going to happen, right? Right. And really the root cause of homelessness is addiction and mental illness and trauma and just simply poor upbringing and a lot of other issues, but it's definitely not capitalism. Yes, there's always going to be that small part where they're there due to some affordable housing issues, but I don't really think that is really a capitalistic issue either. And so they love that. They love to use that word. Kevin, I'm looking at the people you're talking to, and if it's an issue of giving them a house, I'm going to guess that the house will be burned down within a week. Yeah, that's another thing is we don't prepare people to leave the street. Right. We do this housing first model where we drag the biggest hot mess off the streets you've ever met, have no expectations for them. They can continue to use and do whatever the hell they want. And then when they're in the housing... I, what I say to this is we haven't solved the problem. We sim- simply hid the problem. Mm-hmm. So, yes, there's no – I won't deny that the fact is when a major funding package comes in for any city that says we're going to build all this housing, you're going to see a noticeable difference on the streets. You're going to be like, wow, where, you know, where do these encampments go? Mm-hmm. They're in the housing, but they're not actually being helped, and eventually what happens is they burn out of housing, yep. and usually that eventually is usually within weeks. Yeah. Right, because there's no expectations to actually get them off the streets. And it's just it's just wild. It's so backwards thinking. You know, you you're, you're pretty tough on the on the industry in which you work, and I, I'm glad you are. It deserves it. I, I, you know, I was some years ago trying to revisit the notion in looking at our chronic homeless problem of um, involuntary commitment, and I was awoken to this. Very, very scary proposition, which a very dear friend of mine who knows the world better than I do said, yeah, but you're going to send them to people who aren't going to help them. Who's going to help? Once you involuntarily commit them, you're putting them in the in the hands of professionals who are just going to encourage, enable, and tell them they don't have a problem and make them feel good all over again. I think he was right. Yeah, and that's, that's usually the case. Again, I've worked in the system long enough where it's important I can at least – give a shout out to there are certainly people legitimately trying to make a difference Good. but you know there's just a large tie to people that really what they've done is they've made this about a this is a social justice cause right. for them right. and it's, the social justice cause is this abolish capitalism and give the person a right to do whatever they want right. this is this has become a philosophy and shame on them for even going there 
Well, so yeah. uh, it just kind of depends on the system or the, the provider. What was the phrase you used earlier uh, that was backing up or backfilling the harm reduction? Was it human autonomy, something like that? What was it, the human autonomy? Oh, uh, it's called... It's called bodily autonomy, Bod- bodily autonomy. And, and, okay. it, and it is a philosophy where they have a strong belief in a person's right to use yeah. and do whatever they want. And we as a community have no right, no right to tell them otherwise, right? Yeah. It's just a complete freedom to do what they want. And that's insane. And it, it doesn't make any sense, especially for a person who's lost all rational thinking and critical thought. They, we, what they need desperately is guidance, and they're not getting it. And to and those who what, say this is a victimless crime, it's my observation <laughs> that the most crimes committed against these people are people in those various encampments, open-air drug markets, fellow chronic homeless people. The amount of crime committed against one another in those communities is far more than anything you would call victimless or from the outside of that community. Well, yeah, and it's there's a lot of victims. It's not only just the homeless, but look what this is doing to our community. It has devastated our cities and we are paying for it too, because now, uh, you know, uh, it's really bankrupt in our cities where every year budgets grow, yet the problem never gets reduced. And so this is a multi-billion dollar industry that won't stop until more people really just shouted that this is enough is enough. I mean, that's what I've been really screaming the last couple of years is we got to do better, and we are not. And the good news is, I'm going to, I'm going to say I'm cautiously optimistic that people are starting to listen, and even uh, some more common-sense Democrats have really kind of openly admitted that maybe what we believe isn't working. Let's try something differently, right? And that makes me, that makes me feel good that people are at least slowly coming around a bit. Kevin, I have to tell you, again, thank you for your time. Thank you for your work. Mm-hmm. The, I do a lot of interviews. I think this is one of the most important interviews I've done all year, and I hope you'll come back, sir. I really do. Oh, anytime. Big fan of your show, and thank, thank you, you for having me on, brother. Bless you, Kevin. Thank you, and Godspeed. Again, uh, follow his work, truthonthestreets.org. His name is Kevin Dahlgren, D-A-H-L-G-R-E-N, and his substack where he uh, he interviews them. If you want to learn the truth about the homeless, put down your Oliver Twist books and go and talk to one. He does it all the time. A man who knows of what he speaks. I'm Seth Liebson. I'll be back with a final thought. Well, speaking of capitalism, because capitalism works, our friends at Y-Refi have an opportunity for you to invest in a portfolio that goes around the problems of bank failures and stock market volatility and talk of the recession on the horizon and inflation because it's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed. It's a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you choose, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio from Y-Refi, and they're headquartered here locally. I encourage you to stop by their offices. They're on the they're on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I've been there, and you won't get a sales pitch. No one's going to ask you to sign a thing. But when you meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I trust them so much, and you can too. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm where you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, 
then refy.com or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34, 888-YREFI-34. I was serious about what I said to Kevin, one of the most important interviews I've done all year. I am passionate about this issue because it is so clear-cut. In the muddle that can become, in the muddle that is too often public policy or social public policy, some things don't need to be complicated, but they have been made complicated by the pseudo-sophisticates who seem to have no problem with continuing to promote policies that, to borrow the phrase of James Q. Wilson, the man who invented the broken windows theory, perhaps the best criminologist of the second half of the 20th century, to promote policies that enslave the mind and destroy the soul is the opposite of good public policy. In fact, it's public policy malfeasance. And it would be simple to fix because we fixed it before. We didn't always used to be like this. Ask yourselves how we got here. Listen to people like Kevin Dahlgren. And don't listen to the so-called experts who engage in these elaborate experiments to demonstrate things that are so obvious you know what's right in your gut and in your mind. We can fix this thing, folks. We can. It's just that there's an investment And there's a price to pay for this investment, but there's an investment in our failure. And this failure is costing human lives. High note to end on, I know, I'm sorry. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. I'm Seth Liebson, and class is dismissed.